This is One on One with Jasper Cole, Hollywood's bad guy, and so much more. Actor, talent manager, producer, and more. Now he's sitting down with today's top newsmakers from entertainment, politics, pop culture, and beyond. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Howdy, 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 everyone, and welcome to this post-Thanksgiving show, Uh, depending on when you're listening to this. This is Jasper Cole, your host, and we are happy to be live coming to you from Blog Talk Radio. Um, Everyone, please follow us on social media. We're at Jasper Cole Says, S-A-Y-S, or One-on-One J. Cole. Both of them are on Twitter, Instagram, and then, of course, Facebook is Jasper Cole. Also, if you go to jaspercole.com, there is a link to one-on-one with Jasper Cole, and you can find all of our archive shows. I want to give a shout-out to our host company, BS Podcast Network. Um, Every other Thursday, we have a new episode that that debuts at 10 o'clock on the East Coast. And then all of our shows, of course, are on iTunes and Spotify and iHeartRadio and Spricker and I don't know, a lot of them. But anyway, I want to give a big shout out and hello to my co-host and producer, John Williams. Hey, Jasper. Hey, buddy. How, you How are today? you? I'm doing all right I'm here good. in Ohio. <laughs> nice and cold. I know. <laughs> I know. You're, you're home with the family and uh, yeah. haven't been home in a long time, so I'm glad you made that trip. And yeah. how, Tell everyone how's your mom doing. She's getting better each day. Hopefully, uh, we'll be getting out of hospice. We are praying for a miracle. We will see. Right. Well, yeah. listen, you know what? People pull through, and I know having you home and your brother and all your sisters and the, all the, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, yeah. and your, you've got five <laughs> dogs there. and Five dogs, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's been amazing <laughs> it's to, get back to, to get back to the Midwest. Yeah. The middle America. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, everybody, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend, wherever you are. Uh, tonight, Sunday, is the big uh, travel day, so be safe. I'm sure the airports are just a nightmare. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow's Cyber Monday. So I know. I have to drive into L.A. tomorrow, but I figure most <laughs> most people are stuck at their computer for Cyber Monday, right? They're ordering stuff online. <laughs> they <laughs> I are. Mean, yeah. If they didn't and spend all their money, right? I know Black Friday sales were pretty good, but uh, but hopefully uh, Cyber Monday will be even better because that's all the electronics. So we'll see. Right? You know, I've never been. First of all, I hate to shop. Period. So yeah, <laughs> that's just not my thing. But um, I've yeah. never done like one of the Black Friday shopping things or whatever. I, you know, as I say, I I don't think I would stand in line to see Jesus, but. Um, <laughs> And I love Jesus, but uh-huh. I just can't stand to stand in line. So it's it's like, uh, but I, you know, I kind of live vicariously when I watch the news and I see people being trampled at Walmart. Um, <laughs> you speaking of Walmart, did, did you see, uh, yeah, really, did you see out here in uh, in Palm Springs, the, the singer Sia, you know, the writer singer yes. Sia? She, she was, was giving away. Groceries. But my whole thing was, how do you recognize her? Because she always wears the, yeah. the wig in front of her face, right? I right. Guess some, some well, she was undercover known. even there. She was she was posing as someone else. So, yeah. She kept I saying, mean, she told people she had won the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then eventually they figured out who she was. It was all over the local news here in Palm Springs, yeah, which is she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, everybody, I am so excited about tonight's guest. We uh, apologize that we had scheduled this show for Thanksgiving night. And then due to it's so hilarious to say, you know, rain, <laughs> rain in California, just rain, not snow, not hail, not hurricane. Knocked out the yeah. power, flooded the streets. You know, it's like Stormwatch 2019, and people lose their damn mind. So we, I was not able to connect, but um, yeah, our our special guest that's coming up tonight is a one of my favorite actors. First of all, he's just an amazing person, um, and a kind soul and a really gentle spirit. And mm. we have a similarity in that we also both play really crazy kind of mean uh serial killers and different <laughs> different off the wall characters although bill bill Oberst jr is going to be our great guest tonight um bill is also an amazing stage actor um and had been in theater for many many years before he actually moved to la so i want to talk to him all about this upcoming tour and his second season of the Amazon Prime series, uh, The Age of Living Dead. He's got a sequel to the hit film he did, Stress to Kill. So I'd like to bring on this time our special guest, Mr. Bill Oberst, Jr. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's standing ovation time. Hey, you're driving in L.A. on Cyber Monday. That's not a good idea. Uh, yeah, right. I know. Because because people will not. Nobody sits at home with their computer anymore. People That's... drive online. They'll be on the 14, <laughs> on the 5, on the 101, in their damn cars, trying to order while changing lanes. You know what? That's a good. You're right. I forget about that because they're doing everything else in their car. I saw a guy oh, yeah. sh- while, while shaving lip gloss. Oh, yeah. The other day, a guy was shaving with an electric – at least it was an electric razor, not a a straight edge. Uh Uh-huh. On the freeway. I've seen people, like, doing – cutting each other's hair, just all kinds (laughs) of weird crap. I'm like, guys, you're in a hunk of metal that's moving down the five at, like, 89 miles an hour. Are you insane? Uh Uh-huh. Just totally self-involved, not even aware of the rest of the world. Well, listen, everybody. Listen, we, we, if you're just joining us, we're, we're talking to the iconic Bill Oberst Jr. And uh, I can't wait to get into hearing all about this tour you, you're, you've been doing, the Ray Bradbury uh, Live Forever Tour. But um, tell everyone first where they can follow you because, you know, marketing, it's all about marketing and people being able to find you on social media. So where is it everything Bill Oberst Jr.? Yeah, they can look up Bill Overs Jr. They can probably still look up the creepy torso guy, and they would find because at one time there was a bunch of stuff on the Internet about me having the creepiest torso, and I was a body double for Christian Bale and the mechanic, which was not true. Oh. But, uh, yeah, creepy torso actor. Um, uh, what happened to Bill Overs Jr.'s face is a common autocomplete oh. search term. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Um, although, although now it's more often than not, um, it auto-completes Bill Overs Jr., uh, Three from Hell, or Bill Overs Jr., Criminal Minds, or legitimate stuff other than what happened to Bill Overs Jr.'s face. But uh, I'm on well, social media at Bill Overs Jr. And let's say Emmy-winning Bill Overs Jr. So, you know, screw the that rest of them. That doesn't auto-complete, but true. Thank you. 
<laughs> well, you know, speaking of faces, look, we can we can identify on certain things. You know, it's funny how um, you know we look the way we look, and that's given us both work. And I always say, you know, you, you know, everybody's got their own look. But listen, I, I think I've learned from you that marketing and finding your niche in this business is is the way to go. But I want to go back if we can. I want to go back to. Uh, the beginning of your career because you started out in theater like I did, but um, tell everyone, when did you actually, when did you get like bitten by the acting bug? Was that in school or did it happen after? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh hell yeah. Early yeah. on. I was a fat kid. I was a fat kid. Um, I knew all of, I had like a 36 inch waist in the sixth grade. Wow. Um, I made straight A's in school because I really liked school. I love history. I love Sunday school. I was the one who would say like, oh, I know it's the prophet Daniel. <laughs> um, so I had really bad acne at an early age. I had no idea how to throw a baseball and zero interest in sports. So I was the fat mm-hmm. kid, ugly kid, smart kid, and sissy kid, and one kid. And the only wow. way to keep them getting the crap beat out of me repeatedly was to figure out some kind of talent. So my grandmother told me, she said, God gives everybody a gift. You just get one. He only gives mm-hmm. you one. <laughs> he said, it's your starter <laughs> gift. And I said, Mama, I don't have anything. And she said, you'll know. So one day these kids were shoving me up into the locker again, and I started doing this imitation of our principal, and they laughed. And they said, hey, come here. Hey, do that again, Oberst. And I was like, aha, if you entertain people, they will not hit you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, so, yeah, so that's the whole career has just been an effort to say, please, God, don't hit me again. <laughs> well, you know, I was very – in a similar way, I was very small, and I was the youngest of four boys, and I, I really – I learned very early on, too, that I could be funny. And so mm-hmm. if I could make people laugh, it would kind of just arm them. Um, and so I was always winning the sportsmanship awards. <laughs> I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't getting the awards for being a great athlete, but I could make people laugh or, you know, I could be sort of like – but like you, just anything to keep from getting beat, beat up, I guess. Um, so we become their little performing monkey, right? Pretty much. And, uh, and I find this over and over again with actors and successful people in the creative arts. It's like they were a little performing monkey in high school. And I think that's why when we grow up, we have such intolerance for bullies. Mm, Most mm-hmm. actors and creative people that I know have zero tolerance for bullies in public life or private life because we know, excuse my language, but we know that shit. We grew up with it. Yeah. We understand it. And don't try to pull this on anybody else in my presence. You know, I'm the I same way. This is, this is my this is my simmering anger, Jasper. This is why when I kill people <laughs> on screen, I don't have to dig that deep. Oh my I god! Really I'm so glad you're saying this because you get the same thing. You know, this is like people will say to me, Jasper is so nice, blah 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 blah, and I'm thinking, okay, but you know, guys, when we're not really when when we act. We're just digging shit up that we that we suppress. <laughs> Not that we want Thank to kill you. people, but you know, um, the beauty of playing bad bad people, as I say, is it it's a chance to sort of just like exorcise the demons. But um, oh, totally. I, do you find, Bill? I was saying recently that in this group of like character actors that we've been blessed to work with, I find them to be some of the nicest guys ever. You know, yeah. like the most supportive, the most non-competitive. Um, yeah, it's funny because friends of mine that are in the sort of leading man category, I mentioned one day, I said that to them. They were like, really? Because that's not how it is with us. <laughs> oh, they're bitches. 
Yeah, they were like, no, 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 they will cut a bitch. There's no. Yeah, makeup artists will tell you this too. They'll say, oh, when you walk in the room, they'll say, oh, we knew you were going to be nice. Right. Which is kind of a slam on your looks, but. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I think it's because pretty people are. um, Pretty people have never really faced um, getting knocked down on their ass. Mm -hmm. We have. Yep, that's right. They don't know adversity. They've had every everything. Uh, my, you know, Bill and I are both from the South, and uh, my mom was a true Southern woman. And I always say that, and this is no criticism of my mother, but there's something about in the South, too, that pretty means success. So, like, it, it didn't really matter what it was. If I mentioned a girl from high school or college, she would say, oh, bless her heart, she is so pretty. You know, mm-hmm. and I could I could be telling her that she – like I remember telling her a, a dear friend from high school had died of cancer and she was like, Oh, oh my God, that's, that's just so horrible. I said, no, I, I know mom, isn't it? She goes, but she was so pretty. And I was like, I know. I was like, yeah, I know. It's really sad. But she goes, no, no. But I mean, she was just so beautiful. And finally that's I was so like, southern. damn man, mom, what are you saying? If she were ugly, it wouldn't be as bad. She goes, well, it's all very sad, but ugly people are, are sort of used to bad things. <laughs> And I was like, and the thing is, Bill, my mom would be the first one to take up for an ugly person. You know what I mean? But that Mm -hmm. was sort of her, her southern uh, backdoor compliment, I guess. And and when we say ugly and pretty, we're talking about um, Western standards of beauty, and largely 20th century Western standards of beauty. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, and 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 it has it's changed throughout history. Um, the, yeah, this sort of homogenization of looks, of uh, symmetry and the wide doe eyes and all that sort of thing, it's, yeah. it, it hasn't always been that way in the world. No, absolutely not. But, you know, again, like um, like we talk about, you know, we've been able to kind of carve out a niche along with some other really talented people. You know, and, and Bill is also, everyone, very big on, like I am as well, talking to actors about marketing and finding their lane and sticking to it and um, I know for myself, I felt like I sort of not wasted, but, you know, I probably the first 10 years of my career, I did not find my niche. And I will mm-hmm. say when you from the time you arrived in Hollywood, you were smart about that. And then let me also say, Bill has over probably 150 or more credits right now. And this was this was after, I think, 12 years in Hollywood. That's right. And before that, I did 14 years on the stage. And so I was spoiled because I had done well on the stage playing all types of various characters. So um, and I came to Hollywood on the strength of a docudrama on the History Channel called Sherman's March, which got written Mm -hmm. up in the Wall Street Journal. And that got me a manager. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to play all of these diverse, um, you know, historical, dramatic characters. And that didn't fly. And I wasn't eating. So, yeah, that's why I got straight down to it because I didn't have food. Right, right. And that's what we, you know, there's some wonderful uh, tutorial sort of videos on YouTube with with Bill sort of giving really sound and profound advice to to actors. And, 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 you know, I agree with you. We're both sort of that tough love, like. You know, if there's anything else you can do and be happy, go do it because this is not a, this is not an easy, you know, as soon as I say this is not an easy path, of course, someone will bring up like five people that, you know, came to LA and got a series after oh, they do that all the time. one audition, but that is like, that's fantastic, but that is 
that is a, a crapshoot, and that's not how it usually yeah. happens. Come and live it. Come and live it and get your ass in a one-bedroom dive, you know, down on the south side or in WeHo if you can manage the rent, and get your ass out and go to casting calls and do this for a year and get two callbacks and only one of them results in a job, and then talk to me about uh, about just overnight success and magic. Overnight success, exactly, it's, exactly. It's, yeah, there is no magic in Hollywood. In fact, there isn't even a Hollywood, and there never was. It's right. just a real estate development sign. It's all it is. And the industry built the glamour around it because they needed people to come see the movies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. And if you come to Hollywood and you want to take part in this magic that doesn't exist, you just, you're going to starve and you're going to be bitter, and we don't need more bitter people in the world. So stay home. <laughs> we certainly don't, especially in Hollywood. I mean, stop. Like, stop. Just stop. In the name and of love. And stop thinking that you're entitled to it. And stop thinking that people are going to help you or give you a leg up because nobody cares about you. No. Well, don't you think, Bill, too, and the advent of social media, but especially uh, all these, you know, you have all these people that are, they get, they get really famous on YouTube and they're, mm-hmm. and they monetize it and they're making a fortune. But I keep pointing out to people, name me one working actor or actress right now that's actually crossed over from YouTube. You, you know, I don't know who they are, if they are. Two, I mean, yeah. Two types of performers, two types of performers, two types of actors. One, the person who wants to get attention, and mm-hmm. two, the person who does it because they have to relieve tension. That's right. And that's the difference between a YouTube celebrity and a working actor. We do it because we have demons and we have stuff swirling around inside of us, and we have to do this or we can't live. Right, exactly. And, and you know, for, for you and me, theater was our first love and our first outlet. So when did – I know you went uh, to – well, first of all, Bill's from South Carolina, um, and you went to college in South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. And were you a theater major? I loved theater. We had then they wouldn't let you be a theater major, at least not in oh. the South, because they figured nobody's going to make a living at that. <laughs> right. So they had what they they had what they called J schools, double major journalism school, um, okay. half acting and half journalism to prepare you to be a television broadcast journalist. Well, you know that shit wasn't going to happen with my face anyway. <laughs> so yeah, the the acting part of it, and I really got into history, and I love 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 history. So I started doing these um, uh, portraits of historical people in their own words, and and yeah, started touring them around. And wasn't JFK John John Kennedy mm-hmm. one of your early mm-hmm. one of your first ones? How did that come about? And and did you that's did you start doing that in South Carolina, and then went to New York, or at some point you I, did go to New York, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did Twain there. I copied Twain like everybody else. I copied Holbrook. Oh, yeah. And there, there are people who sent their kids, to, multiple kids to college based on ripping off Hal Holbrook. I'm sorry, Mr. Holbrook. <laughs> that was his idea. That was his great idea. So I thought JFK was going to be my great idea. And I do a, a, a really nice JFK voice impression. And the look was eh. But it was a really nice voice and physical impression, so I contacted the Kennedy Museum, and I ended up doing that for schools up north. Um, but it wasn't a great show. It wasn't the thing that I was looking for. Right. Um, and then I hit I hit really nicely with a southern icon, a great humorist and author named Louis Grizzard. He was the mm-hmm. country's most popular newspaper columnist when he was alive. 
and his family was looking for somebody to play him, and I played him. And I wrote that show in his own words, and that really turned into something nice. And uh, then I started doing Jesus of Nazareth in churches, and that was right. also mine. Not my words, of course, but my presentation. And, uh, yeah, and then I started to get a feel for how how what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do this. And then right in the middle of, of doing this wonderful theater stuff on a odd stray notion, I sent in an odd video audition to the History Channel with William William Tecumseh Sherman. And they said, come up for an audition. I did, and they hired me. And I got on set, and I didn't know I didn't know anything, man. They said, Bill, don't look at the camera. It's like, what? I thought I should look at it. <laughs> so yeah, I was like Mr. Theater come to town, and uh, so, I, literally, I to, so literally, I had that to learn was, everything. That was your first in front of the camera job. No, first, yeah, absolutely. I didn't know what it meant because it, people who are listening who've been in the business will know that when they're satisfied with the take, they say moving on, we're out of the scene. Well, the, the director kept saying moving on, moving on, and I thought it was just like a quirk of his. He just I said, oh, yeah, Rick says moving on a lot. But, but you don't know this stuff. No, no, you don't yeah, know. So I started, ask, I started asking questions and, and, and learning. That's why I always tell young actors who talk to me about classes, I mean, I know I sound like a, you know this old guy, get on set. But that's right. what I tell them is yep. that's your class because you're going to meet so many people on set who've done so many levels of productions just be quiet, look around, and then ask questions as they occur to you. People love to talk about their expertise. Well, and I always say, fake it till you make it. I mean, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, film and TV, with all due respect, is it's a wonderful medium. I love working in it. I, I, it's great. It's not brain surgery in some respect. I mean, for me, theater is where you really have to put the work in, and you, you you get to sustain a performance from beginning to end and all that. But, you know, I, I say to, for me, I started doing, believe it or not, extra work early in my career, just, just so I could literally know how a set operates and to know, yes. you know, I always say don't do too much extra work, but do enough to, to get a lay of the land and know, you know, kind of know what's happening. So when they say moving on, you don't start moving out of the frame. Uh, right. <laughs> What, what's the hierarchy? Um, you know, what departments cover what? I'm really, really into the hierarchy of set. I love the militaristic sort of layout of it, and I love uh, knowing what each department is responsible for. And so my question when I get on set is, how can I serve every right. department? What it, right. you know, how, do I, how do I serve wardrobe, and how am I serving camera, and how am I even serving grip by staying out of their way and so forth? Mm-hmm. But you, don't, you don't know all that stuff until you've been on a lot of sets. Well, and likewise, I always say to actors and people, you know, as important as we think we are, and we being a collective, when you get onto a set and you realize the the real grunt, the people that are pulling the cables and doing the grunt work, and you know, is such a it's such a teamwork and it's such a sort of a a family. I every time I go on a set, I just sit back sometimes to look, especially like if you're working on a network TV show or studio picture, when you look at all the people that are employed, you know, the hundreds of people that have jobs because of it. And we're just, you know, we're one nice spoke in the wheel, but by no means are we the most important thing on the set. That's exactly right. And you get in a situation where uh, while we're shooting criminal minds, there was a um, one shot where they wanted my character with this creepy little face to, to come into the light. It was a really complicated focus pull. And they'd spent a, a lot of time setting up the lighting for all of this. 
And so it's on me to hit the mark. And just, they, they couldn't show you the mark. You just had to kind of feel it. I still didn't get it exactly right. But I came close because I've been on enough sets and watched people do focus pulls to know mm-hmm. what my responsibility was there. But in that in that instance, they don't give a damn about your talent or your ego. No. They need you. They need you to hit that critical mark and not overshoot it. And get everyone's ready. They want to finish and go home. It's a job. Thank you. Speaking of pulling focus, I think we have a surprise caller. Is that right, John? We sure do. Hey, caller, you're on the line with us. Well, you know, I think the most important person on the set is the director of photography. DP, baby, it's Suze Lanier. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, Jasper, Hello? before Sue yeah. says, Jasper, before Sue says, well, you've got to tell your audience about Sue's storied history. Okay, well, speaking of icons, we are so lucky because we have Sue's <laughs> Lanier Bramlett, who was, as we always say, the original Brenda in the original Hills Have Eyes, amongst many other things. She's an icon in her own right and in her own head. Hey, Susan. <laughs> hey, baby. Oh, and, my God. And played Bill's wife in what was that movie we did? I can't remember. Oh, what was the name of that? We were Hillbilly Killers, I think. Hillbilly Killers. But that's not the name of the movie. I can't remember the no. name. Oh God. No, I can't remember it, but it was wonderful and I wanna play your I wanna play your husband so many more times. I truly love Sus. Oh my oh god. Oh my god, I love you so much. I tell everybody my favorite actor is Bill Overs Jr. You know, and, it's like so much fun to play your wife. Oh my god. And, Anything. And I'll play your fucking grandmother. <laughs> I'll play your fucking grandfather. If Sue's one of your grandmas ever doing a cabaret performance, guys, if you ever see that Sue's is doing a cabaret performance and you can go, those who are listening, go. She is a tremendous performer too. She really owns the stage. It's a lot absolutely, of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Thank Tell you. everybody, Susan, where they can also follow you and find your how to stalk you and you know. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. I'm doing a little. I, I have a little bit of controversial Twitter these days. Twitter at Susan Lanier, S-U-Z-E, capital L-A-N-I-E-R. But on Facebook, I'm Susan Lanier Bramlett, and on Instagram, I'm Susan at Susan Lanier, S-U-Z-E-L-A-N-I-E-R Bramlett. Hey, I have. I have a question for Suze. Yes. Uh-huh. Are you writing a book? Yes. And Good. It's coming. Um, it's, I'm towards the end. Finally. Good. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. And basically, <clears throat> it's hard because, not because it's hard to write. I love writing. I really, really love to write. Uh, it's, it's, but it, I'm such a socialite that as lately, <laughs> recently, Recently, Getty actually took a – I was on the red carpet. They did not call me actress. They did not call me singer or songwriter. They did not call me entertainer. Socialite, Susan Lanier Bramlett. Oh, I love it. Socialite. Wow, I, I love it. I felt like, you know, Miss Astor or something, you know. Parasitically. And, uh, and, and I like, thought, you know, okay. I've you got know, to move the, the social – you know, the social season has begun when you see Susan and your grandma. Oh, I, I just left a party, and I told Jasper, yes, I'll call in if I'm okay. <laughs> if, I'm, if 
I'm still standing. But, I, said, um, I said the drunker the better. Call in. The anyway. drunker, I said, if I'm not too drunk, I'll call in. But no, no, I didn't drink. <laughs> but well, I need to move to, to where you are, Bill, so that I can just sit quietly and write and have no distractions. That sounds heavenly. Oh, Suze, you are wonderful, and I love you, and I want to work with you again so bad. I'm so, so happy to hear your voice. I want to read your book. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's, I think it's nice and dark and, and funny. You know, I like dark and funny. I always have, you know. But, and I I really want to see you. And if you ever come back to L.A. <laughs> well, he um, will be back. Uh, He'll be back working. Yeah. Well, I know he's working here, but, you know, I, I've missed seeing you. So, um, I've missed I'd seeing like you, to, too. Yeah, we need to work together again. And, For um, sure. Okay, and that's gonna, are, that's are you, a date. Let's make a date that we all get together in Calabasas. Definitely. Yes, totally. I just wanted to say hi. I'll give you back your show. Thank um, you, Suze. You're the best. Uh, and uh, Jasper, you know I love your gut. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, happy holidays, Bill. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Suze. Happy holidays to you. I love you. I love, love you, you too. And I hope to, Thank you. I, I love you too. I hope to see you guys soon. Take care. Oh, Thank you so much. Care, Bye. Soon. Okay. Bye. Oh my Bye. God, that was a great surprise. That was truly, truly awesome. And 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 I'll tell you what she said about L.A. I was in L.A. a full time for ten years, and mm-hmm. then I um, I've always had a beach house on the East Coast, and I started spending more time back here to be back with family. Um, a couple of years ago, back and forth between L.A. and here. And I liked it so much that now I'm here most of the time because, as Sue said, I can walk on the beach. Uh, mm. It's quiet. I can think. I can write. And so I just fly into L.A. for meetings and to work. And, uh, yeah, I and love get, it. And get the hell out. Get in and get out. Yeah, because the business has changed, you know, even right. over the 10 years. There, it's um, it's changed, and so much work now just follows the incentives wherever they are in the country. So you well, know, right. I, I, the last couple of years that I was in LA full time, um, sure, I mean I slept there. That was the goal was to sleep where I work, but I never worked there. I was flying out to Mexico and Czech Republic and wherever. Right. And yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing about we talked recently about that. The the, the business is all over the world now, and we don't really have to be um, based in Los Angeles. Now, I'm. do you still audition at all? I know most of your work, I'm sure, are all offers. Do, do you ever self-tape or have to do any kind of auditioning? I do self-tape, and um, an example of that was Ryan Murphy had a role on Screen Queens. And so I got an email from my agent that said, Ryan Murphy doesn't want anybody but you to audition for this, but he wants to make sure you can do what he thinks you can do. Wow. So, um, so I did the the piece, and uh, then uh, I got to set, and Jamie Lee Curtis was directing, and she said, I want you to do it. Ex- she said, I want you to do it exactly like you did it on the tape, and then she showed me how to improve it, and I did. I did exactly what she said. She liked it. So yeah, when it's, when it's big stuff like that. Um, now Rob Zombie, on the other hand, Rob Zombie doesn't really do auditions for right. his cameo people. You just get an email from your know, call from your agent and says, Rob wants you in the movie. You don't get to know what the role is, how big or small it is, or when it shoots. You can just say yes or no. It's kind of like Woody Allen used to do, or may still do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah. She like, I, yes. Uh, right. Like you're going to turn, turn down Rob Zombie. I mean, you've, you've been, like I said, in, in my mind, which in seemingly a very short amount of time, I'm trying to give you a lot of credit here. You have amassed such a, a body of work, but you've also gotten to work with so many wonderful directors and actors. So, I mean, that's amazing. You've, and also your episode of Criminal Minds, tell everyone about that. And it's one of the most, I think one of the top 20 or top 15 episodes. Well, yes, they named my guy as one of the top killers in Criminal Minds history. Um, and our makeup artist on that was Quentin Tarantino's regular makeup artist. And he's also an actor. And um, Chris played the bride, the groom in the original Kill Bill. And he's a big Lon Chaney fan. So oh, they had hired wow. him to do this character's makeup. And so he said, let's make this a Lon Chaney homage. My guy, he was a, a product of incest. And so he, he borrowed an ear from American Horror Story that he was working on at the time, um, the character Pepper, uh, Naomi Grossman. He borrowed her ear. And at the time, I can say this now because the show's not running, he said, do not tell anybody that that's Pepper's ear. Right. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> oh, no, my God. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we tr- I, I really dug that role because he was a wounded monster and mm-hmm. um, uh, very unlike the usual malevolent criminal minds. He was a serial killer that you could feel sorry for. In fact, I'm, I'm proud that I have my script, which was signed by Breen Frazier, who's the producer, and he wrote that episode, and Breen wrote, to the most heartbreaking criminal minds serial killer ever. Oh, wow. That's that, amazing. That's what I want to do is, to, is, is when I play these malevolent people, I also want to bring their humanity in. That's the mm-hmm. gold standard. Right. I feel the same way. I always talk about trying to bring some vulnerability to the characters yeah. as well. Uh, Matthew, uh, is it Grubber? Goober, the, the director sure, of that Matthew, episode. Matthew Gray Goobler, yeah, yeah. who played Dr. Reed on Criminal Minds. He's a big a fan of horror and independent horror. And right. that's how he knew me. And, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Now let's talk about this amazing Ray Bradbury history that you have. I know the story goes that as a, a youngster you were walking and you found a, a book of his. Do you, can you tell us a little bit about because you've sort of had this connection to the the famous sci-fi writer since you were a kid. Ray was a boyhood hero of mine because it was a really, really lonely boy, as I've expressed. And, um, you know, I was isolated in a little town in South Carolina. Spent a lot of time walking by myself in the woods, and I didn't know that there was a world of misfits, that there might be other people who were as odd as I thought I was. And, yeah, one day I was walking along, and then this, I saw this book cover glint in the sun because it had gold color on it. And I picked it up, and there staring up at me was this weird-looking <laughs> geeky guy with glasses. And uh, he was looking way <laughs> up past me, up into the sky. And it said, uh, you know, Tales from the Master of Imagination, Ray Bradbury. I didn't know what this was. And I took home this paper book somebody dropped in the woods and started reading. The first story I read was called Pillar of Fire. It was about the last dead man living who uh, is be damned if they're going to kill get rid of all the corpses in the world. He's the last corpse left and he's going to kill other people to make more friends. So he goes on a rampage of terror. And this was really good for my teenage angst. All right. So it made me fall in love with Bradbury and I read everything I could by him. And he opened my eyes to a world of fantasy and, and misfits. And I developed a great affection for him. And did you start um, doing performing as him years before 
the current installment that we're going to talk about? Had you no. done a sh- um, no? Okay. No, it wasn't until he died that uh, because I always said if I'm in L.A. and Ray Bradbury dies, I'm going to the service. Well, I was in Mexico shooting a movie when he died. Shoot. And so so bummed up afterwards that I contacted his hometown. He was doing a memorial thing, and I said, "You don't know me, but I love Ray Bradbury with all my heart. Can I come and do something?" So I came and did a reading from Pillar of Fire on the stage of the Genesee Theater in his hometown, where mm. he went to see Phantom of the Opera as a child. Um, and I love speaking his words from stage so much that I licensed the story Pillar of Fire and did it as a stage adaptation uh, in L.A. and New York and in Europe. Which, by the Germany. way, I got I got to see that performance at um, Theater of oh. Note. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was Holly. a lot of fun to do. And it was riveting. It was riveting. Thank you, man. That was that's all due to Ray, I think. And and then I did a performance of it at the Pasadena Library, and Ray loved the South Pasadena Library. And afterwards, we had Q and A. And somebody said, "Is there something you'd really like to do? You haven't done it." I just blurted it out. I said, "This is crazy because I don't look like him, but I really want to play Ray Bradbury on stage." Mm. And so afterwards, the guy came up to me and he said, "I'm a friend of the family. Here's the email address if you're serious." Wow. So the next day I wrote to his daughter who put me in touch with his literary agent and um, I spent three years developing what is now Ray Bradbury Live Forever, the stage show. That's amazing. You know, I, I believe there are no accidents in, in life, of course. You know, you things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So uh, starting with you finding the book and now all these years later, just, I mean, it's no coincidence that this guy would be at the library and see this performance and then connect you with the family. So you have, you've gotten great reviews for this show already. Um, it's uh bill com also has information about the upcoming tour. Now you're going to start up again, right? In 2020. I am. And I have to fit this in between other projects and you know what this is like, like, you know, when you have a passion project and you're trying to fit it in all the other stuff that you do to make a living. Right. So right. Um, I do, uh, yeah, I've got shows in Washington State, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, so far next year. And I'm sure there's a lot more because that would be Ray's centennial. He'd be 100 years old if he were alive next year. It's amazing. Well, everyone, uh, we're talking to Bill Oberst Jr., wonderful actor and writer and producer. And you're just – what I love about you, Bill, is from the time you started, you always knew that – you had to do more than act. When I say that, I mean, you had to take control of your career. And, um, you know, there's so many actors who would just say they want to play Rad- Ray Bradbury, but would not do anything about it. So you always put, uh, you know, you do the walk, not just the talk. But, so I'm always impressed. But you know, with that. Jasper, you know, you just hit on something, you paraphrase something Ray Bradbury said, which is, and I, I, I opened the show with this by doing things, things get done. Right. That's right. And you also don't wait for other people to give you the opportunities. You create the opportunities. Now, another amazing project that you're involved in is, is the Amazon Prime series, The Age of the Living Dead, where you play Raphael. I got to binge this um, this past weekend, and I'm hooked. Tell everyone about this series. It's it's um. First season is streaming now on Amazon Prime, and I think you're going to be doing the second season in 2020, right? Simon Phillips, who's in London, developed this show, and I'm going to write him tomorrow, send me your link, and tell him Jasper loves this show. And so we should be on the show together. Oh, my God. Um, 
I would love um, it. It's humans versus vampires. And, um, you know, like all independent series, there's not a massive budget. But what I love about these guys, I think it's because they're Brits. They insist on quality. So Mm -hmm. it looks really nice, I think. It looks amazing. Yeah. And and I'm I'm a, a, a vampire, ancient vampire king, and they wanted a delivery that was more still than anything I've ever done. It was really so still that <laughs> there's nothing going on in your face, just your eyes. It was a real exercise in discipline because he kept saying, just let's bring it down. Let's just be a little more quiet. Let's just bring it down. So there was virtually <laughs> nothing going on. And you think you're doing nothing, but in the monitor it works. I know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so the stillness that you bring um, to the character, that's what's so riveting. In fact, I'll be honest, the entire um, – cast but especially you're part of the elders right the, the that's right yeah all of you i think there's six of you forgive me i think six or seven whatever they're yeah. just all of the actors in those scenes are you guys are all just riveting and you connect so well together and like you said i i mean this has the look of a you know network show a hundred percent so the dp is amazing on this lovely thank you and he also is british and I will tell I will tell them that I really I, I want to work with you again, Jasper. I think it's uh, yeah I want to work with you again. Man. I feel a real connection with you. I always have as a friend and an artist. Well, thank you, and we I likewise, and I think I would love to work with you. So if that happens, now another one of my favorite roles is the, the film you did, Stress to Kill, um, with Armand Asante. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. I I actually got to rewatch this a few months ago. I had seen it. I think in 2016 or 17, I don't remember, but um, I mean, truly bill that, that was, that, that character was, you just got to like exercise everything in that performance. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and that's about a, um, for people who haven't seen it, stress to kill is a man. It was originally called 120 over 80. It's a guy who has high blood pressure and he goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you got to relieve the stress in your life. And he says, well, how do I do that? And the doctor says, get creative. So he starts killing people. <laughs> but the, the scene, uh, did you film that in LA? I'm not sure where you filmed that, but um, we filmed that in Florida. Okay. But anybody that has to live in traffic, I mean, the road rage scenes are just, cause it's a really, I mean, it's a heavy drama, but it's, it's got a lot of funny kind of quirky black comedy to it. Um, or, you know, I mean, it's it's just an amazing performance. How was it working with uh, Armand Asante? Because he's a legend in his own, own right. He kicked the hell out of me. We had a, uh, a street scene where he was supposed to shove me across the street and then kick me. And uh, I'm barefoot in, in, like, pajama bottoms and a white beater. And Armand was like, I'm going really, to push you out, okay? <laughs> yeah, you're Armand Asante. Of course, well, buddy, he... <laughs> he ran my ass across the street like a stuck bull. <laughs> it was awesome. And he was kicking me. Was, he's really making contact. And I was like, Armand Asante is kicking me. This is awesome. <laughs> take after take. <laughs> I'm serious, man. He's he's a madman, and he's a genius, too. And, and we're shooting a sequel to it in January. Right, with the wonderful writer-director Mark Savage. Now, example, how how did that role come to you? Mark. Um, I met Mark at Dark Delicacies Bookstore in Burbank mm-hmm. at a, one of these mixers, and we started talking about Lon Chaney and our love of uh, freak shows, the old circus side shows. 
Right. And we said we said we want to work together. And um, so, yeah, and we did that movie, and I'm doing the sequel with him in January, and then he has my dream project as an actor is a project of Mark Savage's called Circus of Dread, and it's um, a redemption story of two brothers, one a carnival sideshow freak and one a career criminal, and it's set in an underground carnival wow. freak show. And, and it's 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 a powerful movie that I think has the potential to become a cult movie for all time, and it's the one I want to do before I die. And and uh, yeah, so Mark is about halfway to get the money for that, which it would have to have a substantial budget. I love so, yeah, the whole. I love the whole, in January. I love the whole carny world. You know that whole. Me too. The, 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 I've always been sort of fascinated by that, and sort of the the underbelly and sort of the lower budget of the carnies, the better, you know, it's, um, so that sounds like, sounds like a perfect part for you as well. Um, so I wanted to talk briefly, you know, I know you're, you're a man of faith and you're a spiritual, uh, guy as well, growing up Christian. Um, I know part of the, uh, part of the thing about after being in Hollywood for so long at doing these kind of parts, at some point we sort of, reach a point where we go, you know, what am I really doing to contribute? And you had a situation where you were on a red carpet and you saw a homeless, homeless guy. Tell us, talk us, talk to us about that. It was a very long fashion show, big red carpet, one of the really nice, you know, sometimes you go to a nice one, you know, the food's good and you're treated really well, you know, you know, those kinds. Right. And you're like, really, you're floating about five inches off the air. Cause man, I'm on this carpet. You know, I'm looking at, I'm not only seeing Getty, but I'm seeing like every big photographer. Look this way, Jasper, Jasper over here. Give us one here, Jasper. One of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And right outside uh, was a guy who was sleeping on a piece of cardboard. Wow. And, um, and I passed over him and I didn't think about it until I got inside and getting ready to get up on the red carpet and look back and saw him there. It wasn't like he made eye contact with me or anything Hollywoodish like that. It was just that I was aware that mm-hmm. I had walked past a human being who was suffering and had not given him one thought. And in fact, it maybe even stepped on his stuff because I was in a hurry to get to my red carpet. Right. And, and it was emblematic of what I was doing with my life at the time, thinking only of myself and my own importance. Because you can distinguish people are like, you, you're kind of, kind of important enough. But you need mm-hmm. to be a little more important. And now mm-hmm. you need to be more important. And you need to get to this level. And you need to get to this level. And there's no end to the levels. It's an onion with no center. Right. Right. So it's, never, it's, never en- it's never enough. It's never enough. Because you, as a good friend of mine said, you can never have enough of what you don't need. Wow. That's powerful. And so that's why I started, I started doing the Bradbury piece. Um and came back to the beach house more to be with my family and just sort of reoriented my life where it was not totally centered around my importance. Or mm-hmm. Otherwise, I was just going to become empty and and eventually bitter. And we don't need more bitter people. No, we don't. And that's the <laughs> thing, you know, we I, I say that all the time. I always go, you know, it the, it's the nature of the beast of our business is narcissism and it, 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 but on a, on the flip side of it, it's understandable because we are the product, right? So it's yeah, yeah. it's kind of a very real dichotomy, and it's it's always a sort of a uh, a balancing act of like taming the beast, you know, <laughs> keeping it sort of 
to keep it not as obnoxious as it could be. I think, you know, the different yeah. levels of narcissism, but for me, like the, I play so many homeless characters in my career. I've been, that's been sort of a staple of mine. And I had a similar situation where I suddenly one day was like, well, Jesper, you play all these characters, but have you really, do you ever really stop and think about them, you know, mm-hmm. and what life they're living? And then this whole homeless crisis has exploded in Los Angeles, but also across the country. And it's, in, I think it's symbolic of just like our country right now with the have and the have nots. And, um, but, you know, that's why I've started doing shows on my podcast that focus on the homeless crisis. And what we're finding is it's not, you know, the homeless, the faces homelessness change. It's the working homeless. It's, you know, it's single mothers with, with kids that are, that are homeless. And so, but I, I kind of did the same thing and that that's why I sort of moved to, Palm Springs and I go, I go in for work and I come back because I'm sure it's age as well, but you get to a point where you just have to have a certain quality of life and it can't always be about the next job and the next, you know, what's my IMDB number this week. Right. Because eventually no matter how hard you work, you'll reach a point where your IMDB number tanks right? and whatever looks you had are gone. And you're not getting hired. And if you don't have something in your life that's important to you beyond that, then you're truly empty. Truly empty. Absolutely. And what I love is that you've been able to reconnect and, you know, get back to theater. And that's something I'm dying to do as well. I just, uh, what happens, like, you know, you get, you get busy with TV and film and then how do you do the theater? Because one, you're not in town, and two, it doesn't pay right. that much. You know, there's a whole. I mean, again, there's a whole list of reasons I could excuses I make, but um, that's yeah, just something. It's, it, you're, it's passion. You're not going to make money. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's like, um, I mean, excuse another Bradbury reference, but I'm into Ray because I've been studying him. But right. he wrote poetry uh, all his life, and he loved his poetry, but he mm-hmm. never made a damn cent off his poetry, and very few people wanted to read it. But a lot of his heart is there in his poetry, where he poured it out. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I, I know just what you're saying. Everyone, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to the wonderful actor Bill Oberst Jr. and uh, here on Blog Talk Radio. Bill, I wanted to circle back to Louis Grizzard. I think I may have told you this story. I don't know, but um, you know, uh, when I was 13 and my brother was 16, uh, we were struck by lightning at Jekyll Island, Georgia, which is an mm-hmm. island, and my brother was killed. And a few some years later. Louis Grizzard had a book called Kathy Sue Loudermilk. Kathy Sue Loudermilk. I love you. And he devoted an entire chapter to my brother's death. And yeah, my brother's name was Barry Malcolm. I I grew up Chuck Malcolm. But um, Barry Malcolm was your brother. I I know this piece of writing you're talking about, Jasper. I had no idea. Yeah, that's my brother. And we were both struck by lightning. And uh, oh my God. I know. And so Lewis reached out to my family um, when he was going to put that together and was so kind to us. And I, I spoke to him and, you know, being from Georgia, I mean, he was really, you know, especially as um, at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And then he had already, you know, had these prolific books. So it was just when I when I met you and I was doing research years ago and I saw that you had this connection to Lewis Grizzard, I was like, oh, my God. That that's amazing, and I you do such an amazing job uh, in your in your show playing him, and I hope that's a show that you will keep 
doing as well. Thank you very much. I'm doing it again in Atlanta. Lewis always plays well in Atlanta yeah. in January and in February. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. Lewis had a real a real interest in people and human interest stories. He was a newspaper man at heart. And I'm uh, I'm I'm sorry for that loss and I'm amazed at that connection. I had I did not know that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, I um people used to say to me when I first when I would tell them I was gonna to come to Hollywood, they go, Well what makes you think you can make it in Hollywood and I used to say, Well, I mean, what are the odds you'd be struck by lightning and survive? You know, I figured Wow I mean I, I used to think, well, I mean it can't hurt, right? But uh-huh. yeah, he he was you know, he really picked up on the the impact that my brother's death had on, you know, the high school and the football team and, and the small community. I mean, even though Athens is a college town, but you know, the it was a big loss to the high school and he he really captured that and um, was so kind and spent time with us. And so I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for keeping his legacy going. And for anyone that listening that doesn't know Louis Grizzard, look him up, um, G-R-I-Z-Z-A-R-D, and be sure and and see Bill if he comes to a city near you. Of course, see him in uh, – Ray Bradbury Live Forever and also the Lewis Grizzard. And check out, of course, the season one of The Age of the Living Dead on Amazon Prime. Can't wait for season two. I can't we shot it already. It. It's even better. Oh, you've already done it. Yeah, we shot we just finished season two, just wrapped it, and it's even better than the first. You'll like it. Oh my God. That is so exciting. Well then we I want everyone to go immediately to Amazon prime and watch season one, get ready for season two. Good luck on the sequel to stress to kill bill. And well, not no stress to kill, <laughs> yeah. not kill bill. Um, and you know, man, look, next time you're in town or I'm near you, I hope we can get together and, and continue this friendship. I, I wish you nothing but the best. Um, it's been a blessing calling you a friend and, Thank you so much for taking the time to do our show tonight. I feel the same. Thank you. This is really a blessing. Thanks, Jasper. Love you, man. Love you, too. Take care. All right. Thanks, okay. everybody. Thanks. Um, you've been listening to JW? John? And we're still on, Jasper. So we're ready to yes. wrap all right. Yes, thank you so yes, much, I everybody. Mean, it's amazing, Bill Oberst Jr. Again, yes. check him out, com. He is just such a – JW, I think the reason you would love Bill is because he's such a spiritual person. He's very grounded. You can and, feel that, yes. What a yeah, guy. and he just really is um, – He's he's one of the really good guys. So, And, John, yeah. I'm so happy for you. Please give your mom our love and the rest I of your family. Thank you. And, yeah. and we will be in touch, of course, this week. And, everyone, here's to a wonderful holiday. We, are, we will be back with um, – I think we're doing our next live show this coming Wednesday uh, on the 4th. But um, we also have a new episode – on BS podcast that's dropping Thursday night. So just, you know, check us out. We're out there. Everyone have a safe holiday. Have a great rest of your night. Peace and love. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out one-on-one with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube.